Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and you can find our work all over the internet. Right, Ben? Certainly. Ben, where, where, where can they find your work? You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Inside Hook, and at Driving Line. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and TechSpot. Ben, we've got some cars to talk about today, some that we haven't spoken about in a while. Um, and some and that we've kind of never really spoken about. Yeah, exactly. Except, except in passing, I guess. In passing. What is it like to speak about cars in passing? Is it like when somebody is walking by you and you just say, like, car, 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 and then you go... So you? when I was a younger man... And this is pre-cell phones. We'd be on a road trip with friends, right? And you'd be split up into multiple cars. And mm-hmm. you'd have to, like, drive ahead of the car you wanted to talk to, roll down the windows, and then shout into the wind. And then the wind would take your voice into the other car that was behind you to the to the right or to the left. And that's how they would hear you. So I refuse to acknowledge that this is really how it worked. Because I know older vehicles had awful aerodynamics. And as a result, no wind would carry anything into the car. I think that your understanding of aerodynamics is amateurish at best. So <laughs> that's true. Um, I've got some. I've got a. I've got a car to talk about that I don't think we've spoken about um, in detail. It is the. It, I'm gonna. I'm gonna BS you. Are you ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. It's called the Bronco Sport. That's where the BS comes from. Oh wow, that, that's a great dad joke. You know I, know, I think the last time we talked about the Bronco Sport was more than a year ago, and in that case, I believe we were talking about. The uh, top tier model, which is what the Wild Track is that? Is that what the I, does the Bronco Sport get a Wild Track as well? No, it gets I think what is known as the Bad Badlands. Badlands, that's correct. So that's the one that has the EcoBoost Turbo Four, but mm-hmm. it's the only one that has that engine, right? Every other Bronco Sport has a very different drivetrain, and I think that's what you were sampling this week. Yeah, so I've got myself in a 1.5 liter turbocharged three cylinder version of the Bronco Sport. Oof. It is called the. Outer Banks. Oof. Um, and for whatever reason, the subreddit keeps calling it the OBX, which is very strange to me. I don't know what the X comes from, but hey, if they want to call it the OBX, that's that's fine with me. I won't, I won't criticize. I'm a newbie to their Maybe to their that's like, uh, you know how there's those stickers you buy for your car and it's like a three-letter um, designation for wherever touristy area you're in? Mm-hmm. I think OBX is probably Outer Banks. And what's funny is... <laughs> oh, that's true. Okay, yeah. What's sure. funny, though, is I know this is what referring to the Outer Banks of South Carolina. Is that where yeah. they, So in my mind, though, I think Outer Banks of Newfoundland, even though I know that's actually the Grand Banks. <laughs> TLDR, well, I mean, I my, my mind should, is weird. More cars should be named after places, right? Or banks, I guess. Or, ba- or banks. So this is, think- a, this is a 3,500-pound crossover with a three-cylinder engine what is that like okay look it is not the most powerful car i've driven in fact it is not a very powerful car at all um it makes about 181 horsepower and 190 pound-feet of torque look it it, it, that sounds slow there's an eight-speed automatic transmission that um Manages those gears as best as possible. It sounds adequate, I guess. Yeah, kind of. It it is adequate. Adequate, I think, is the best way to describe it. Uh, You can still, you know, get a speeding ticket in the wrong place if you if you put your foot down. But I would especially downhill, I guess. Yeah, especially downhill. 
But I would say that um, don't expect this to be a very exciting vehicle to drive or anything energetic. And in fact, I would say that about the the entire vehicle, it it catches me off guard because I think that this car has been done in the Ford Escape. I mean, these are the same powertrains that you can get in the Ford Escape. And the Ford Escape is a little bit more mm, elegant looking. I think it's a, it feels and looks a little bit more spacious and bigger. And the Bronco Sport looks a tiny bit smaller. It has what I think is a pretty limited uh, cargo area. And it has this look that tries to adapt the Bronco, the, the real Bronco, the full-size Bronco, into something smaller, which I'm not sure is very effective. Well, so I, I want to point out, though, that it, compared to an Escape, it looks nothing like an Escape. Yeah. Like, this is one of those interesting instances where there's platform sharing and you can't tell from the outside. I guess there's a, a weird unless you're pushing to the hood and A pillar, though. Like, it well, yeah, but are you weird. out there with your protractor <laughs> like, getting that okay, proportion? First of all, you know I am. Okay? <laughs> I need you to stop taking all of these protractor jokes. I need you to stop taking your protractor everywhere because we always have to check your protractor and then we always have to wait in the big crowd of people who are getting their protractors at the end of the event. Yeah, of, of course. But, you know, it's interesting we talk about protractors for a vehicle that is essentially a collection of 90-degree angles. <laughs> yes, exactly. That, well, we need to be sure, really. Um, but the motor is is one of the more intriguing parts of it. It is a tiny bit loud. It's um, unimpressive off the line. It does feel a little bit better um, in motion, and that's where you kind of get the the transmission and the and the turbo. You're not worried about turbo lag as much um, when you're in motion. It does feel a little bit better once you get going. But I think it, at lower speeds, it does feel a little bit sluggish, and it really doesn't sound all too refined, yeah. which I think is something that we've heard in the past from their Turbo 3. Um, this seems to be some criticisms that they're okay with weathering, um, so long as the fuel economy is good. I now, also, I haven't, I also yeah. think that the EcoBoost upgrade, the four cylinder, doesn't really sound that great either and is a little bit coarse as well. You think so? Well, I don't think it's terrible. I'm not saying it's a bad engine, but I, 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 my, my general impression of the Bronco is very similar to yours, even with the different engine, is that it's not a particularly refined vehicle. And that's interesting because I actually found the cabin to be a little bit more attractive and more interesting than the Escape. That this is where I find the biggest um, difference of the two vehicles. Um, and, and I was kind of impressed with what this Outer Banks model has, but there are some omissions that I found um, a little questionable. First of all, let's talk about what it does. It does have um, the 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 window in the hatch. Okay. That is uh, open, that you can open that separate from the hatch. I know that's a feature that many people are curious about. It can do it. It's one of the few vehicles that can. I, I think. think it's, I think it's mostly like if you're hauling longer items. You know what, Sammy? I'm going through my notes and I actually also drove an Outer Banks model that I had forgotten about. Oh, okay. When? Uh, I want to say roughly the same time period. Did we talk about this on the podcast? We might have. I might have been mistaken in not having driven the EcoBoost for any <laughs> length of time. <laughs> Classic, Ben. Um, um, okay. So, yeah, that might explain why I thought the quote-unquote EcoBoost was a little rough as well. If I was actually driving the same model you're driving, man, I'm getting old and I can't remember these vehicles. I'm just – the reason for you're listeners – You're listening to a pair of professional automotive yeah, journalists. Yeah, for listeners, I'm actually going over my notes now just to make sure from last year. And it, it turns out I was driving the Outer Banks. So instead of starting the podcast over, we're going to let you see behind the curtain. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, so please carry on. Um. So, as I mentioned, the, the rear window opens. Um, there is no, this model in particular doesn't have an, uh, a power lift gate, which I found really questionable given its 
essentially the second highest trim of the vehicle. Um, and furthermore, the rear hatch really is too low for my liking. Like, I will really hurt myself. I felt the same if I'm way. I'm not paying attention to this. And, and it's also not powered, right? Yeah, I mentioned that. Yeah, yeah not so, a power lift case. So this is the top tier aside from the off-road model, and it's not powered. And that in itself is weird. Yes. And then, but I will say that the cabin is a, is actually, um, really, um, well designed. I think it's, it's pretty. It distinguishes itself, uh, distinguishes itself from the rest of the Ford lineup really well. I don't know if it feels like a Bronco inside, but it just feels different. Um, my model in particular had these, this interesting cloth leather mix on the, uh, on the seats, as well as these, um, stitched Bronco um, logos in the in the seat backs, which were really attractive. I found them to look good. Yeah, it's um, it's a nice design. Um, I I agree. So for for me, it really feels like this is an experiential vehicle rather yes. than a specifications vehicle. And but from my notes when I first drove it, I kind of it, I recommended myself against buying the the EcoBoost version, the, the four cylinder version, because. I didn't really see what more power would bring to the table because I don't think mm-hmm. anyone's going to be actively off-roading these things. I don't know. It, it, I'm I'm curious to see if there are people who who will take their vehicle off-road, and if they do, there is a um, a gimmicky knob on the center console called uh, GOAT, which is go goes over anything, all all things, anything's all terrain. I don't know what it means really. Yeah, but um, you know, you 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 click through that, and you'll get a bunch of different drive modes. That's all essentially it is. I don't know. It's not like this thing gets extra, you know, capability or confidence in those in those settings. It just feels pretty decent in in those settings to begin with. So, so this is you know, in many ways, this is Ford's attempt at wilderness, but taking it one step further than what Subaru did. Whereas, if, if this is kind of like if Subaru had taken mm-hmm. the Forester and made like a butch-looking crossover that is exactly the same, <laughs> except yeah. it looks different. And had the you know the different X mode and the the additional uh, ride height and whatnot, um, and the different transmission. So it's it's part of that whole continuum we're seeing now of these crossovers that aren't really off roaders but are pretending to be off roaders and can mildly back it up. So there, that's a really important um, point to bring up. I think we really should talk about the competition when we talk about the Bronco Sport because first of all, Ford has two entries in this compact um, crossover segment. Well, most automakers only have one. Yes. Um, I think there are a couple of very popular choices in this segment from Toyota and, um, and Honda. We get the TRD version of the RAV4, right? Yes. And I thought that would be a really smart choice, but this thing, the TRD, um, off-road starts at 36,000, which makes it more expensive than the Bronco Sport. Um, and you don't get that same turbocharged engine. You actually get a naturally aspirated, much bigger engine. Um, a 2.5 liter four cylinder with a which, little bit more power, but not a lot, right? It's like 201 or something. Yeah. And I don't think it has a ton of torque either. And you've got an eight speed automatic that I think both of us have criticized in the past as saying a little bit clunky, um, at low speeds. So the other vehicles in this, cl- in, in the compact car cro- class, a compact crossover class that I would typically recommend would be the Mazda CX-5, the RAV4, and maybe, um, the, the CRV if you need a lot of space. Um, and little else. But if you're looking for something that's a little bit more rugged, you're going to be taking a look at that $36,000 TRD off-road RAV4 or maybe the Subaru uh, Forester Wilderness. Yeah, see, that's what I was going to say. Like, Which starts at only 33, which, I think, which is less than 
which is less than the Broncos sport. But the Outer but Banks starts at 33. The Outer Banks, I have mine starts at 34. Maybe you're not including... Um, yeah, uh, I, I'm not including delivery. Okay. Um, okay, and um, the other thing is, there are people who drive Foresters or Subarus and say, what is going on with this transmission? Why does it sound like I'm going to break the car any instant, any moment now? Mm. And that's because it uses a CVT. And the Fords don't use a CVT. Um, and I think actually the, the vehicle feels pretty, um, pretty stout, pretty good in that mid range, like, uh, I mentioned to you earlier. Whereas sometimes forced, uh, the Subaru with their CVT has a really touchy, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A really touchy throttle off the, off the line. Especially, you know, the Forester Wilderness has the, uh, the, the different ratio, right? Yeah. The first, the, 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 Rear gear ratio is more aggressive. Rear gear. There's no rear gear on the car, but I mean, there's not exclusively. Final final drive ratio is more aggressive. And I believe the first gear has been, has been beefed up, but I don't know if the first gear itself is more aggressive, but you're definitely going to, I mean, fuel mileage wise, it's not nearly as good as the standard Forester. So that's telling you a lot about how aggressive the throttle is right there. Absolutely. So as a result, you end up getting this very, um, I don't know. It, it, there's like this. There's this play here with these off-road oriented compact crossovers that aren't particularly super impressive off-road. I don't think they're not going to keep up with like a Wrangler or a real Bronco, right? No, but they're not intended to, right? It's it's in a way. It's I think it accomplishes two things. One is it's off-road cosplay, which yeah. allows you to buy an off-road looking vehicle and have that kind of lifestyle in your automobile. But not suffer the the uncomfortable aspects of a real Bronco or quote what real Bronco a larger Bronco or a Wrangler. But the second thing is it it plays into the overlanding crowd, and yes. I think there's a seg- there's a segment of the overlanding crowd that doesn't really want to do hardcore off roading, but they do want to go into like a cool meadow or down a fire road or near a lake and not have to worry about getting stuck in wet grass or on some sand or something. And I kind of feel like this plays to them. Not everyone who's overlanding wants like an, a GX or a, an old land cruiser or, or something. Forerunner, like. yeah. Yeah. They, 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 they want something that they're going to drive to work on Monday and not put a ton of gas in and, and feel comfortable in. That's just now, my opinion though. I think. Now one of the things that I think actually is in Ford's favor here is that when you buy a, when you, when you build or buy or want to buy a Bronco sport, they offer a ton of accessories like, a. Like you mentioned, kind of like uh, roof rack kits or like bike carrying kits or a tent that works, you know, out of the the hatch. It's a lot so, like what they did with the Maverick, right? Like it's a cheaper yeah. vehicle that is given this aura of, um, I guess, enthusiasm or or a way to attract enthusiasts with a, an accessory support program. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think that's where Ford's um, going to attract people the most. I think y- you've got. Um, a fairly middling, I think, crossover, but they've added so much of these additional elements through accessories, through um, design, both inside and outside of the vehicle, and aftermarket support that will help beef up that uh, what I just described as a middling car into something a little bit more interesting. And I don't think that's very common in our in this segment. No, right? and I think it's smart. I think it's a good idea. Um, it's something you saw a lot in the seventies and eighties. Back when pretty much every car kind of sucked, especially if – well, no, but I mean affordable cars back then, were they were real penalty boxes, a lot of them. And they weren't – Are you calling a $35,000 car affordable? I'm saying that – I mean the average transaction price is is right around there, right? So it's – I don't know. Actually, I think it's almost – it's significantly higher these days. I think most cars are going for forty or 50000 I mean the Bronco starts at twenty seven. 
Yeah. So if we wanted to get like down to brass tacks, I guess that's kind of where it is. And the Maverick is like, it's no longer under 20. It's, uh-huh. over, it's over 20 now, but that's still pretty cheap. So uh, comparatively, um, and, and in any case though, I feel like, you know, you saw a lot of spicker, spicker, a lot of sticker packages and accessory things you could get in the late seventies and early eighties for cars that weren't really interesting, but they were given interesting colors or looks or features. And that was kind of a way to forget the fact that, you know, three years from now, your car was going to be a rust bucket and you were going to have to buy a new one. Yeah. Um, I'm taking it on a on a extended road trip and going uh, out to the cottage with it so i will be loading it up a little bit more and i have this interesting um cargo management uh kit i don't know how to describe it it's like a table that goes in the hatch that really just seems to get in the way a lot it's like so. a double decker <laughs> cargo area that doesn't yeah. seem necessary but um i was looking into it a little bit further and you can use it sort of as a divider to um separate your your items um, which seems like something for those people who who want items on their plate that can't touch each other. Yeah, it's very, you know, it's got to be a certain way, Sammy. <laughs> yes, that's right. So uh, I'll let you know how that thing goes, if it's a headache, or you can you can see it on my Instagram, what my experience is with it. Um, but uh, I anticipate it's going to be a fairly smooth trip, and uh, hopefully the fuel economy keeps up, because, you know, with the fuel prices as they are, hopefully a three-cylinder can help me save some gas on, on the trip, right? Yeah, I mean, in theory, but we all know that the thing with Ford's EcoBoost motors is once you start working them, a lot of that fuel mileage disappears. So depending on how heavy your load is or how many hills you're going to go up, physics is physics, right? It's it's not like Ford has a a magic wand that waves that away when they apply an EcoBoost label to something. And my experience so far around town has been um, unimpressive in terms of fuel economy. Okay. So, But you have a vehicle this week that... um, you know, you get to skip the gas station altogether. I did. And in fact, it's a vehicle that I really did not know how I was going to react to. Mm-hmm. And I ended up being super positive, positively surprised by it. And I know that we were getting a lot of flack for the number of EVs we talk about on the show these days. But it really reflects the vehicles that are coming out that are new. Um, yeah, it's not. We're not specifically booking EVs just to have them. It's because it's not our fault. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but I drove the BMW iX X Drive 50, which is the first dedicated EV platform from BMW in the SUV space, and it was based I think in general. Now, even the even the, the i4, though the is i3 based on a four C. Oh yes, yeah, the i3. i3. You killed yeah. me on that. Dang. Um, but, what's inter- but what's interesting, though, that you bring up these vehicles, i3, i4, uh, is, is they all they all stem from Project I, which was a 2012-2013 a BMW announced, hey, we're going to get serious about electric vehicles, and that's going to mean a bunch of different things, and we're going to try a whole bunch of alternatives. So we got vehicles like the i3 and the i8, which was a plug-in hybrid, but we also got, I think the first one was the Mini E, and then we got the Active E series of hybrids from BMW. Yeah. And that was like, there was a three series. I think there was a, a five series. Um, and then I think there was one of everything. There was like a seven. There was an X6 or something. There. And uh, we eventually got the very, very good um, X5 plug-in hybrid that I like so much, the 45 Drive E um, mm-hmm. or E-Drive or whatever it is. It, it, it All of this was part of a single project. And mm-hmm. BMW has been very deliberate about advancing their their electric programs towards the finish line in a way that I think some other automakers haven't been. Um, mm. I think some companies just kind of, they're like, okay, here's our EV. And there was no buildup to it. There was no 
Um, you, you couldn't see the starting point at, at, from the from the end point. And you like that. You're like a math teacher. You want to see them do their work. <laughs> Show your work. No, but I, what I liked about what BMW has done is it feels very real in that sense. I don't feel like the cars we're getting now because there's the iX, there's the i4, and there's a whole bunch of stuff coming. i7. Yeah, they don't feel like they're one-offs. It doesn't feel like I'm driving a prototype, you know? Yeah. It feels like, hey, this is a production car now, and we've gone through all of the necessary steps to make sure it works like a production car, and we're now at the same level as, say, Tesla in terms of having a production-ready vehicle in the electric space, and I'd say well beyond Tesla in some ways, or some very important ways that are maybe not easy to notice at first. So okay. the I, the iX I drove, Sammy, you drove the M60 version, which is absolutely crazy in terms of power. I think you had you, you drove it in Berlin uh, on an event. Mm-hmm. I and, did, and on the unrestricted highways um, in Germany as well. So I got to get it up to speed and really experience a 610 horsepower, like 811 pound feet of torque, massive car. Yeah, you had it in in normal living conditions without restricted highways and uh, unrestricted <laughs> highways. Yeah, so the 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 X Drive fifty, it's essentially the same drivetrain, but it's been throttled a bit, right? So it's a pair of electric motors. You get five hundred sixteen horsepower and five hundred sixty four pound feet of torque. Now that is still a lot of power. It is a lot of power, and this is a vehicle that weighs fifty seven hundred pounds or just under fifty eight, somewhere in that range. It mm-hmm. still does zero to sixty in four seconds. Um, it is a scary quick vehicle for its size. It's not huge in this. I'd say it's like a bit smaller than an X5 visually. It doesn't have the same kind of buff character. It's, it's almost like a wagon in that sense because it it also looks lower, but, but it is heavy. And, um, to have a vehicle that is that heavy and that quick is something I think we're eventually going to have to have a reckoning with, (laughs) um, on public roads because it is terrifying to think of what this could do in the wrong hands or if you don't pay attention, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, that, that's kind of beside the point of what I want to talk about this vehicle. Uh, Sammy, I know you don't like how, how this vehicle looks. Yeah, this is probably the ugliest car I've ever seen. I uh, like new car on the market. Hard disagree. Hard disagree. How, how is, how can you disagree with this? First of all, it, the exterior doesn't look designed. It doesn't look finished. It doesn't look like an item that people will look at and go, oh, yeah, that's that's good looking. No, I think it looks nice. It, it, so it, it, four years ago, we got something called the Vision iNext concept, which okay. is basically what the iX M-Drive, iX X-Drive M50, oh, such a mouthful, what it was based on visually. And What is very, this pro- concept that you're talking about? It's called the Vision iNext. Okay. Which is let me, oh, let me look at know, nonsense words, but um, it was part of Project I. It doesn't matter that they got it close enough to the concept. That was also an ugly car. No, I so I think that <laughs> so my tester was in a beautiful burgundy and it had yes. this really nice subtle gold accents on the window trim and the door handles. And normally gold is the least tasteful color you can have on a car. Uh, in this case, it looked really good. Um, I <laughs> I was into it. I think it looks it's a nice balance between. Kind of looking like the future, but also looking like the now. Like, it's close enough to other SUVs in the BMW lineup that I don't think people would look at it and be like, ugh. Uh, I think it's not just something that will appeal to early adopters. And you open the door to the cabin, and you also get a very nice balance there. Although there's more going on in the cabin that kind of tries to be cutesy about the fact that it's an electric car. Like, it doesn't have door handles. It has buttons. To open love the door. For doors. I mean, come on, just give me a door handle that I can pull. Um, there's on the center console, uh, BMW has this, you know, they love their, their tactile touch sensitive panels now, right? Yes. The plastic panels. 
Well, instead of a plastic panel, it has the same thing, but it's like wood trim. Mm-hmm. So it feels really different under your fingers. Yep. And it's it's low contrast because it's white text on like a light wood background. So it's hard to tell whether you're pushing in the right place or not. I don't need that. I mean, just give me some switches and buttons and I will be happy. Also, there's no park setting for the vehicle. Um, this was a little bit more problematic for me because you, you can just turn it on and off. Yeah. And it turns on and off, right? And when you turn it off, it puts itself in park. But if you put it in neutral and you turn it off, it's in neutral. Yes. <laughs> and it rolls, which it's I discovered. Weirdest, weirdest decision by them. Yeah. There is a parking brake. So if you're in drive and you hit the parking brake button, it won't go anywhere, question mark. Yeah. But I fail to see why it doesn't, like, like other BMW electric vehicles have park. <laughs> So I don't understand why the iX has this different thing. Why does BMW hate Park so much? I mean, isn't this the case with their M vehicles as well? Well, I think it's because you're thinking of the M3 and the M4 when they had that seven-speed DCT, right? Yeah, maybe. And I think the the M2 had that as well. That was a bad transmission overall. Um, but I think that that's because that was a, a legit, I mean, legit, that was a, a, a dual clutch transmission that had no park. Like it was just, you know, an electronically actuated manual transmission with dual clutches. So they just, they're like, should we put park? Eh, who has the time? Um, that but yeah. was, I, no, I think they, they legit have an issue against park. Like they, they just don't want cars to have it anymore. That's um, my feeling now. Okay. Um, other parts of the interior, though, they, they work really well. Uh, I'm not... I think this is one of the nicest interiors. I think they just did not design the exterior. Well, the, so the interior is nice in the sense that, you know how so many EVs have like a giant center screen? Like, I mean, like there's yeah. 12, 13, 14 inches and they're usually portrait now. Like they're, they're oriented so they're taller than they are wide. And it just totally dominates. Like the, the Mustang Mach-E is a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not just EVs. I mean, Dodge Ram has this as well. But the Mach-E is the one that comes to mind because it kind of just, it's just stuck on there. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's super bright, um, and it takes up a lot of visual real estate. But BMW's avoided that. They've kind of done what uh, Kia and Hyundai have done, where you get like a really long but not so tall um, LED screen, and they split mm-hmm. it in half. So half of it is for infotainment and half of it is for gauge cluster. And the BMW purchases it on the dashboard in like a really nice way. This like you can see. These, it's almost like a like a billboard, and it's stuck up with angled um, supports at the back. And I think it's it's just a, a different way of doing it that works much better visually for me. Okay. Um, and I find it doesn't dominate the dashboard in the same way, and it's a lot more comfortable and welcoming. Okay, okay, I'm I'm feeling that. That's I, and I also think that the seats are really like it feels high end. I mean, yeah, I think overall the vehicle just really does impress. With that cabin, right? Yeah, and, and the seats. So I had these optional seats. I can't remember the name of the option, but they have like a plastic cutout at the top. You know, like you would normally have dual cutouts for like a uh, a racing harness. This one has like yeah. a single cutout directly. And if you're of a certain stature, like say maybe one of my passengers, that's directly behind your head. Oh. And if you're so you maybe, have nowhere to really rest your head. If well, you're on this plastic hole. If you're doing launch control runs, <laughs> oh no! And your head snaps backwards. You yeah. hit this hard plastic surface that doesn't need to be there. Um, so I wasn't really feeling that. That's just kind oh, of an man. affectation. But you know, you're right. The cabin it's comfortable front and rear. There's almost 80 cubic feet of storage space in it. Uh, and even with the seats up, I think there's like 35 cubes. That's really decent. That is decent. I'm a fan of that. That sounds good. Um, and 
in terms of driving, I, I've talked about how crazy fast it is. Uh, that it gets talk old. about it again, just because I, I I love hearing you talk about fast cars. Well, you know it gets old, right? Like. Any kind of very fast car, if that's the only thing it can do, eventually you get bored of it. Or if not bored, used to it. So it doesn't impress you in the same way. And that's kind of the case with every EV. But with EVs, they're like, they're fast to the point where it's scary. And so I always kind of felt like I had this crazy bomb under my foot that I could just unleash at any time. And it, it changed how I drove the vehicle. It made me a much more casual driver with it. Do you, do you ever feel that way when you're driving these things? Um, I think I'm a casual driver to begin with. I don't think I'm very antsy or I don't know what the alternative is there. I'm not very aggressive. Well, you know, in traffic, if there's like, if you're trying to get somewhere quickly and a space opens up and you go for it, that kind of thing. I feel like I do that less with the iX. Well, I mean, it's a huge car. Like it feels heavy. I don't know if that makes any difference. It is is a very docile car when you don't put your foot into it. I think that's the biggest the dual um, reasoning for that pers- that psychology. No, you know, the, the dual personalities of EVs. It's it's a fascinating topic, I think, um, because like you said, you can just pussyfoot around in this thing, and it, it it gives no hints. It's not like you know, you know. I've said this in the past on the show, but if you're driving like a, a, a twin turbo V8 or a, a very cammed, naturally aspirated V8, <laughs> it at low speeds, you even in my Jeep, which has a very mild cam, you know that it's not necessarily happy. <laughs> Like, you know that it's, it wants to be driving more quickly. It was designed to be driven more quickly. And in an EV, you don't get any of that. Like, it's completely below the surface. Um, and, and you you mentioned the weight again. And where I really notice it is in braking. Uh, if, if you forget to brake and you do it maybe a second or two later than you normally would, you better be ready to put your foot down because you need to get on the brakes hard to stop a very heavy vehicle if you haven't given yourself enough space. There's also, regenerative braking obviously on this vehicle but bmw has it's it's not like other evs where you get like on the steering wheel there's the way to do three settings like hard medium and and um hardcore yeah. medium and, and almost no braking okay. this one you can do that if you go inside the infotainment screen menus or you can leave it in adaptive mode which uses like sensors on the front of the vehicle and your gps position to guess at how much adaptive braking it should give you mm-hmm. um it kind of works some of the time, and it's unproven time. So when you take your foot off, you don't necessarily know how much regen you're getting. I think it's a good idea that needs more work. Um, talk to me about that a little bit more. Do you notice um, the noise of the vehicle? Is there not like a? There's supposed to be some sort of soundtrack or well, it's totally noise or something like that. It's totally silent if you want it to be totally silent, but it has this feature called iconic sounds. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, and if you do that, it's like it's like an orchestra tuning up when you hit the accelerator. It's a kind of it's 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 what you think it would be, right? So, and did you like it? I'm fine with it. I turned it on halfway through just to see, you know, kind of compare and contrast. Um, I think it automatically comes on in sport mode or you can edit it out to, to not be there because sport mode has different settings. I wasn't able to, there's three drive modes, like eco sport. And I guess it's called balance, which is the normal one. And balance didn't let me make any editing. It was only sport mode that let me change various settings. So um, that was strange, but you get Come on BMW. Don't lock us out. We love we love configuring <laughs> we love our messing. cars. We love undoing what the person who drove it before us was done has done. Uh, Three hundred fifteen miles of range on the twenty two inch rims. Uh, you get another nine miles if you get the twenty inchers. There's a twenty one inch set too that has the worst mileage somehow. I don't know how that works. So the lesson is here: smaller wheels, 
more rich. Yeah, pretty much. Why don't I just swap these out for like four teams or something? Yeah, go for it. I mean, good <laughs> luck clearing the probably 17-inch brakes. But <laughs> <laughs> It's a 150-watt uh, kilowatt DC fast charger compatible. Um, I think it charges at a speed just under that. I'm not sure exactly. But it's like zero. It's like 10 to 80% in 30 minutes. So it's not the fastest thing out there. You're looking at slower than like the Hyundai and Kia options that we talked about recently. Yeah. But faster than uh, some other vehicles that are out there. Uh, the range was pretty good. I found its estimates to be accurate. I also was surprised at how quickly it charged when plugged into my just my wall outlet at home in my driveway. Interesting. It, yeah, I think it's an 11 kilowatt onboard charger. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was able to top up. Like I'd come home and be like 85, and like overnight I could get almost to 100, which you don't often see on mm. on larger batteries like this if you're just plugged into 110. That's pretty decent. That's surprising. Really. Yeah, I was I was pretty surprised by it. But I've kind of been rambling about this vehicle, Sam. Is there anything that you, okay. you want to know specifically about it? Do you think it spells the doom for like X fives? No, or I X7s? think I think I think gas powered cars are here for quite a while because yeah. this is still an expensive model. It's I think starts at eighty four thousand. Um and with options it's easily over a hundred. And like you said, the, the M sixty is it starts at over 100, I think. Yeah. So it's very expensive. But you've got, you know, Cadillac Lyric, Mercedes-Benz EQS. I think this is the vanguard of the new regime for EV SUVs in the luxury segment. I think that Model X has had this to itself for a long time. And you had Rivian come along with the R1S, which is kind of, you know, another boutique offering. But you have these large brands that have muscled in now with fully developed cars that are assembled perfectly. And that don't ask you to make any weird compromises about build quality or um, customer experience like Tesla does. And mm-hmm. you don't have to join a cult to buy one. And uh, they also have... Are you sure about that? I know a lot of BMW owners who tell me that they've well, got these I don't, I don't, I don't know if they self-select for EV ownership or not. Okay. But the other thing, too, is there's a huge dealer network for these. Okay. Which is something I also... also that's, I mean, that's huge, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tesla doesn't have that. And I'm not saying dealers are a great model for buying cars, but if you do need to get service... Uh, it certainly beats not having a dealer. <laughs> but I don't know, Sammy. I mean, what do you think? Do you think that this is the end? I I think gas is here for a while, but what's your impression on that? Look, I think there, it, we're getting closer. I don't, but I don't think this is it because if it was, I think more affordable, longer range things that um, like the compromises would be um, easier to deal with. And I think that these cars are still very expensive. And there's for a very specific, maybe affluent niche of uh, car car owners who are, it's not going to be their everyday vehicle. I'm not sure. I, I mean, I think the majority of people can probably live with this car every day, but oh, I, don't think that's the every, de- I don't think that's the demographic. Every day, no problem. I mean, I, I think the issue would probably be like a, a, a road trip scenario. Yeah. Um, but how many people are driving 300 miles a day? I mean, not that many. Right. I would say a vanishingly small percentage of people. And even then, I think 300 is enough to get you to another DC fast charger to give you another 80%. Yeah, and, and hopefully and that charger's working. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as usual. Um, but I so, mean, you know, the other thing is too, like you're going to the cottage this weekend. Yep. Do, you, do you think you could take an IX to the cottage? I mean, I remember you tried I last, did, last yeah, summer. Yeah, last year in a, in a Mustang Mach-E and the charger wasn't working, so I had to go and find another one, um, which which really put the... It turned into a like a it turned the cottage trip into an EV trip, right? Like into a a, a charging. Finder. You're planning around that exactly instead of something a little bit more casual and and relaxed. Suddenly, all you're thinking about while you're driving 
is the situation with the Chargers. Now, I, I seem to remember you telling me about a scenario where you were in some restaurant trying to get Wi-Fi because you didn't have cell service in the area where this where this charger had failed, and you were trying to Good join time. this other network that would allow you to use this random charger you had found. I mean, it's so bizarre, right? Because so many of these chargers um, need you to sign into an app to activate the charger. So shouldn't the charger itself have some sort of cell network or internet coverage that I can connect to? What bothers me, too, is why can't I just use a credit card? Yeah, of course. I mean, naturally, that's the way we buy gas, right? Yeah. Like, it doesn't... That shouldn't be a problem. I mean, public transit in a lot of cities now has also evolved past the need for passes where, like I, I in London, for example, yeah. when I was visiting, you just put a credit card when you go in and a credit card when you go out. And the pricing <laughs> is sometimes higher, but you're paying for the convenience of if you're visiting a city, you don't need to buy a card, load it up and figure out how that works, right? So right. if you're traveling to, a di- let's say I'm traveling to a different state or a different province and they have a different network. I, I might only be there for the two days. Why do I have to join an account and then uh, sort of make an account, join a service, and then fill the digital wallet up with money in order to charge when I might never use it again? I mean, when I go to Toronto from Montreal, their parking system there makes me do that. I have to have an account to park. Yeah. In, in Montreal, it's different. You you have to use an app or you don't have to use an app. You can use an app or you can use a, a – a, a, we call them guichet in uh, in Quebec. I don't know what you would call it, like a – like a terminal? Okay, yeah. You can, yeah. If you're parking on the side of the street. But yeah. it's not prepaid. Like, I don't have to fill it up with 10 bucks and then hope that's enough to cover it. It just charges me whatever it costs directly to the cart. I would like that kind of system and avoid the whole app's uh, shenanigans for chargers when I'm visiting a new place. That would be lovely, wouldn't it? Um, I think the future is the car can pay from... I mean, I don't, I don't think you'll be happy with this one either, but... Um, Basically, the car has your your credit card information. I don't trust a car with my credit card. You, <laughs> as soon as I turn my back, it's ordering weird stuff on the internet. I mean, true. They they now have Google, Sick Apple, stuff. and Amazon uh, connectivity. It's it's only a matter of time before they they start purchasing things on the Play Store or the yeah, I mean, Dark Web now. So, Do you think? And who has to confront the post person? It's yeah. It's I get the condescending or judgmental looks when that package arrives. Because it's not wrapped in brown paper, my friend. It I has thought a, you and your postman are on good terms now. Well, we were until my car started ordering weird, sick things from the dark web. Yeah, and it's better. At least it doesn't have facial recognition um, like uh, like the Subarus do. I guess. Right? I mean, I don't know. It, it, it might have, but I didn't <laughs> encounter it. I wear a ski mask when I drive now because I'm a privacy <laughs> I, advocate. I can't do that. As soon as somebody sees me in a ski mask. They get, they I know get as soon as something touches your face, you start to hyperventilate. That's true, too. Um, I think we have nothing more to talk about this week unless you really want to dive into the ski mask conversation. No, not today. Not today. So why don't we share with our listeners where they can find our our past episodes? Sure. You could go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. They are all there every past episode. We're up to almost 280 now, which is really crazy when you consider we turn out one of these things almost every week. Um, if you want to find us on your podcatcher service, we have a whole bunch of buttons that will click on the website and take you directly to it on your favorite service. Or you can just look us up. If you do look us up and you do subscribe, please leave a review or a comment or something. It helps kind of get us in front of more ears. And, uh, Sammy, 
Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, you can find us on everywhere. We're like Amazon, Spotify, Apple, Google. Um, we're on – what's the new one? Stitcher, all sorts of places. So just unnamed automotive podcast, either .com or in your app. If you go to our website, you can also fill out a form to help uh, – to get in touch with us, contact us, all that jazz. Or you can, re- you can reach out to us on social media. You can find Ben on Instagram. He's at HuntingBenjamin. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Sammy, what are we going to be talking about next week? Next week, I'm not sure I'll be around because I'm going on my honeymoon. Um, and I'll be in Morocco for a short while. But we might actually do an episode. We're trying to figure out if we can get an episode in before that happens. So this might be... Cross, cross your fingers, listeners. Sammy Sammy takes an infinite number of summer vacations, but this is a well-deserved honeymoon that he did not get to have previously because, well, we all know what happened. Uh, the world just kind of oh, yes, went that to one. pieces. <laughs> that problem, yes. Um, in any case, uh, if we do have that podcast... And I will be talking about another BMW electric, the i4. Oh my goodness! And I'll be rolling. I'll be rolling my eyes. I know that half of our audience is already going to planning to tune out, even if we do do the episode, because they're tired (laughs) of EVs. Uh, I'm sorry. I will. I can tell you this though: the episode after that episode is going to be the anti-EV. It is going to be perhaps the least efficient, most absurd vehicle you can currently buy. Um, so that will kind of give us a bit of a respite from the electrons. Excellent. I can't wait to talk to you about it uh, next week, Ben. All right. Uh, Bye, everybody. Bye.